Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, just a couple things to communicate before we get into the word. It's good to see everyone here. Um, next Saturday is the Trinity Square block party. It's not our block party necessarily. It's a collective of nonprofits and local businesses in the Trinity Square area, which is our neighborhood and churches. So we're one of the churches that are involved in this. But it's pretty cool. Um, the last time we did it, hundreds of people came out, all different kinds of people from the neighborhood. A lot of kids come out to these events. It's just a great opportunity to kind of get to know the neighbors and get to know some of the other nonprofit workers. If you'd like to be a part of that, just, um, well, we'll probably send a, a reminder newsletter out midweek, probably Tuesday. And uh, in that newsletter, you'll see a, a sign-up. Uh, or you can just go to the welcome table after service. Um, also, if you are volunteering to serve in the block party, Catherine has T-shirts, right, for the volunteers. Uh, don't get a T-shirt unless you're going to show up next Saturday. <laughs> but um, but we're, we're happy to kind of give out the T-shirts now. So if, if you've already signed up, uh, get a T-shirt at the table. If you'd like to sign up to be part of the block party, um, go to the table. Trinity Square is just right down the street. It's probably half a mile away, not even maybe. Uh, it's a crazy part of the city. Um, so we, we kind of set up this block party right in the middle of it all. It's pretty cool. Um, what time is the block party? It's noon to four. Is that right? But uh, we're showing up. Well, there's two shifts. You can do the whole day, or you can show up, I think, here, right, at 1030, and work till, what, one, is it? Two, okay. So 1030 to two, or you can, the other shift is what? Noon? Two to five, thank you. Oh, yeah, because it's a little beyond, right, to bring our stuff back. We're basically uh, doing the kids' activities and games, which is a lot. <laughs> so uh, we could use all the help we can get um, every year. I think we had like 40, at least 40 volunteers last time. It was pretty cool. It was impressive. Um, let's see. Well, that's it, I guess, for announcements. Well, I did want to say one other thing. Um, we were talking a few weeks ago, and we had a staff retreat, uh, just a one-day kind of mini retreat in my house. And we were talking about different things, talking mainly about relationships and talking about how we can foster community and be a family. Um, but one of the things we were saying is that sometimes people uh, maybe hear something in the, the message and they're just not sure how to process it or they, they don't like what is spoken and so they, but they don't talk about it with, with other people. Actually, somebody prayed this morning that, um, that when we hear the sermon, we would talk about it uh, during lunchtime. It's okay to talk about the sermon. <laughs> I'm not the only preacher here, but uh, to talk about it and what, what made sense, what doesn't make sense, to, to search it out in the scriptures to, to make sure that what was spoken was really biblical. Um, I, I want you to do that. I don't want you to just take everything I say for, oh, it must be, it must be true because Pastor Scott's saying it. No, I'm, I'm just a person. I'm just a, a man. But also uh, that you would come maybe and talk to me. I just want to be accessible 
if you have a question about any sermon that is preached, um, I'm more than happy to, you know, dialogue with you. And also, you know, along with that, if you're new to the church or if you have a question, you can always go to the welcome table uh, and, and ask. They might know. Maybe they don't know. <laughs> um, and if they don't know that, they'll find somebody who does know the answer to your question. And I try to, sometimes I get distracted and get carried off to other parts of the building. But after the service, I try to hang out in, in this area here. It's my office over there and uh, just kind of down in the front here. So come and look for me. If, you know, I'm too caught up, I said to somebody, <clears throat> if I'm really engrossed in a conversation and you're waiting to talk with me, just kind of come up to me and poke me in the rib really hard. Okay, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But you, you could just kind of tap me or get behind the person who I'm talking to and just wave to me. That way I'll wrap up the conversation. I used to get in trouble in my, in my previous church, uh, because I would just get so engrossed in conversation with one person. And the senior pastor was like, you can't do that. There's like 300 people in this church. You don't have to kind of talk to more than one person. But uh, I, I tend to do that. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but um, anyways, just wave to me or get my attention. Um, and of course, I'm not the only leader in the church. There are elders, there's council people, there's small group leaders, uh, John Michelson is one of our pastors in the church. He's usually floating around and accessible. But we really want to do community together. If you feel, I don't know, upset about something, confused about something, um, come talk, talk to us about it. Um, you can email, I guess, too. But it's better. Don't you think it's better face-to-face? How many say amen, Pastor Scott? It's, uh, I don't mind emails, but email's not great because, do you know why? Because you can't read tone in an email. Or I should say you can, you can very much misread tone in an email or a text. So it's always better to, you know, to kind of talk things out face-to-face. Um, so anyways, we're here for that. That's part of my job. I think sometimes people, oh, I don't want to burden the pastor. What, that's what we're here. That's why we are here, to help you to process things and to help us to be a community. Uh, we want to do that. I want to, to play that role in your life. Amen? All right. Well, that's my sermon for this morning. Uh, it kind of is. Uh, we're in Proverbs, and this morning... I want to talk to you about relationship dynamics, and I may do this actually for a couple weeks, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, because so much of the book of Proverbs is really about relationships. So I'm kind of uh, clustering a whole bunch of verses together. I actually just went through Proverbs this this week and, and pulled out, there's more than this, but I pulled out 21 verses that really have a bearing on our relationships. So I'm going to be talking about relationship dynamics, and these principles that we look at today, um, certainly, certainly, uh, I'm just going to move over, camera people, Shana, is that okay? All right, so I can see the clock. Um, Okay. 
Uh, they certainly apply to our families, our workplaces, our friendship circles. But I'm thinking mainly just the way I was coming at it was looking at the church community. And some of it is right out of our, our staff retreat because we, we talked a lot about how we can be a family and what are the relationship dynamics within a family. You know, we can say, uh, well, it's love. That's what we need. We just need love. Yeah, that is totally true. But what does that look like? How does that play out? What are the nuances of how love works itself into kind of seeps into a life of a community. Um, I'm, I'm kind of worried, not about Renaissance Church, but about the church at large. And just things that I've heard, things I've seen, there's a lot of brokenness in churches. There's a lot of, there's a lot of splitting. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of Christians who don't like other Christians. Um, there's just a lot of that going on. And Jesus actually predicted this, didn't he? He said that in the last days, the love of many, or your, your, your Bible might say most, will grow cold. And so we live in a day where obviously the culture <laughs> is not exhibiting a whole lot of love, but even amongst Christians, it's kind of getting into the, the, the Christian community this, this sourness, this hate, this uh, strife, this fighting against one another. We don't want to be like that at all. We want to be distinct. We want to be um, a community of love amidst all the, the strife and hatred in this world. And so I want to talk about a few principles. We'll just look at a handful of Proverbs in, in how we can, we can do this. Proverbs has a lot to say, of course about this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try not to be too funny this morning because these things are, are kind of heavy on my heart, and I know I try to sometimes lighten, lighten things and tell jokes and stuff, and maybe I'll say something funny. But, um, I, you know, I, I just want us to really hear these things this morning from, from the Lord. Well, the first one I want to look at is Proverbs 10, verse 12, says this. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife. We know what strife is. It's conflict. I think some versions of the Bible uh, say that. Uh, some might paraphrase it and use the word, kind of the high school word, drama, right? Hatred stirs up drama within a community, within a family, within a city, within a country, within a church. But what is hatred? Because I think it's one of those words we don't like to own, you know, because we're Christian and, and the Bible says, actually I wrote it here, uh, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness, right? First John 2, 9. So we, we don't ever hate anybody, right? Because we're Christians. We love everybody. Now we should. But we're afraid to kind of say that we felt hate for a person. But what is hate, 
look up the definition. It just means to intensely dislike somebody. Have you ever intensely disliked somebody or at least had a moment of intensely disliking somebody, whether in the church or in the culture or, I mean, come on. We're talking about ill feelings toward people. We're talking about the way we feel maybe toward uh, extreme conservatives or extreme liberals. We might feel an ill feeling toward a family member who hurt us. We might feel an ill feeling toward somebody who deeply, deeply offended us or betrayed us. I mean, usually, and that's why my verse here, Proverbs 10, 12, uses the word offenses. Usually we dislike intensely or attempted to dislike somebody intensely, um, somebody who has offended us deeply. Maybe they embarrassed us in the workplace. Maybe they slighted us or overlooked us. But I've noticed something about, about hatred. Hatred, when, when we feel hatred toward somebody, we can't keep it inside, right? We have to make it known. We have to kind of gather others along with us to hate. Hate loves company, right? Just like misery loves company. We, we kind of want to pull others into our ill feeling toward this particular person. Now, I know nobody in here would ever do that, right? But come on, think about it. We've done that. We certainly did it before we were Christians, and it doesn't necessarily go away instantly once we become a follower of Jesus. I remember uh, this kid... I went to high school with who hated me. I was hated by a lot of people, actually, for good reasons. But this was not really a good reason uh, because he just liked my girlfriend and he was jealous, I guess. And it just, I think he was trying to, you know, show off or something. Or if he could be, you know, crush me, then. Maybe he'd win the girl. I don't know. It was just kind of a bizarre thing. But it went on for a long time. And he was so full of hate, he just told everybody. Like the whole school. People would be coming up to me. I can't use his name. But they'd be coming up. Hey, do you know? He wants to kill you. You know? And like he just spread this everywhere he went. And it, it's a long story, but turned into a fist fight. <laughs> like many situations in high school. But hate wants to express itself. It wants to bring others with it into its ill feeling. Um, and this doesn't just happen in high school, right? It doesn't just happen in the world. It happens in churches. Um, I, I pray that we would be really sensitive to that, and that we would even uh, be the kind of people who can, who can kind of redirect people or gently challenge 
people when, because we've been in those situations, right, where all of a sudden it's some venom, you know, coming from somebody's mouth. They're usually not aware of it or they feel like they're justified in sharing what they're saying. And all of a sudden this venom is coming in. It's an opportunity, right? I mean, we can be like, yeah, wow, that's, that's ridiculous. That person's an idiot. You know, we can fuel it or we can hopefully maybe redirect it or encourage the person to show grace and to be forgiving. I mean, we can be empathetic toward maybe the hurt that the person has gone through, but it doesn't help people when we, when we just fuel their hate through empathy. We have to be careful with that. It's, it's very tempting to do that. Um, but we want to hear them out, but we want to move them toward grace. Amen? Husbands and wives need to do that as well. Um, I, I thank God that my wife is so good at that. And I think I'm pretty good at it with her too. You know, but we, you know, because, you know, we'll, if you're going to share an offense, you're probably going to share it with your, your spouse or a really close friend. Listen, a good friend, a good close friend, a good spouse is going to, they'll hear you out, but they're, they're not going to let you cultivate bitterness, right? Because that's not good for us. That's not, the, that's not what we need. Um, they're going to move you out of it and move you toward grace. Well, the verse says love covers all offenses. It doesn't mean, you know, when you see that word cover, it doesn't mean um, sort of, you know, cover up or brush under the rug. It, it doesn't really mean that. It means, it really means forgiveness. It, it's really talking about love uh, is able to forgive offenses done to you. And that's what we need, right? And my encouragement this morning to us is to pursue love above everything. Listen, you know, we, our love gets strained. Our love gets tested. We have great love uh, one day, and then, you know, a few days later, we're realizing the, you know, the love is, is running a little low, and, and it doesn't take as much to be impatient or frustrated with, with somebody, Right? That's why we constantly need to go to God. You know, you say, why, do, why does Pastor Scott talk about prayer so much? We, we need to go to the well of God and receive that love. I mean, you've heard me quote so many times Romans 5 the, that talks about that love that is shed abroad within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Listen, your natural love apart from the Holy Spirit, it may be above average. It may be pretty impressive, just in human terms, comparatively speaking to others, but it is not enough to, to be the kind of community that we, we want to be, right? It's not enough. We're tested to the bone by people. And we, we need that supernatural love of God that just shed abroad within us so that we can, we can love like Jesus loved. This proverb is actually quoted in 1 Peter 4.8. It says this, Above all, love each other deeply. I love that. Above 
all. Like this is like the, uh, the centerpiece on the table of the church is love. Love is supreme. It should be the distinguishing mark of a church community. Genuine love. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And the reality is there is a multitude of sins in every single church. Did you know that? If you go, I don't care where you go. I don't care if it's the best church on the planet. You're, there's going to be sin. There's going to be struggle. There's new people. There's new Christians. There's people who aren't Christians yet. There's people who everybody thinks is a Christian, but they're not Christians. You know, there's pride. There's arrogance. There's weaknesses. There's moments of failure. There's, we slight each other. We're inconsiderate. We do dumb things. I do. I know I do. I mean, ask my wife. We've been married over 30 years. I just, yeah, I have many, many, many many moments that I am selfish or inconsiderate or just in my own world and not really sensitive to her needs or other people's needs. It's, we're, this is the human condition, okay? Yeah, we're becoming like Jesus, but we're not exactly like Jesus. And we definitely are not exactly like Jesus every moment of every day. And I would even say this, that one of the reasons why Many church people, and this is just a trend nowadays, it certainly wasn't a trend in the early church, but one of the reasons many uh, Christians, at least in this country, have reduced their relationship with the church down to come on time or late to church, sit in a chair, don't really talk with anybody, leave right on time afterward, you know, one hour, look for kind of a shorter service, and that is it for their relationships within the church. They just come, spectate, leave. You know why? Because it's easy to do that. It's easy to feel at peace. Oh, I just love my church. Well, yeah, you don't know anybody. You know, when you start becoming a real New Testament church, Right? You're in small groups. You're in each other's lives. You're hearing each other out. You're doing ministry together. You're doing a block party together. You're doing missions together. Maybe you're going even to the mission field together. I remember when, uh, you know, our, our mission trip to uh, Haiti. Wow. It was intense. You know, like you're there. I think it was like a 10-day trip. It's so easy to love people on a Sunday morning for an hour or the five-minute greeting to just show love during the five-minute greeting, that's kind of easy. All right, try a mission, mission trip, you know, 10-day trip uh, in another place where you're not sleeping good and it's like so hot and there's no air conditioners and people are getting tense and people are scared and other people are mad at the people who are scared and just, <laughs> oh my gosh, drama, you know. It, 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 can, it can get intense. Um. Well, let's look at this next one that relates even to this first one. The next proverb I want to look at is Proverbs 11, verse 13. It says this, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. I think some of your Bibles might say tail-bearing. 
I think some versions use the word gossip. Uh, slander is really a bit of a campaign against somebody that probably you hate, you know, that you don't like. It's, ooh, have you heard, you know? But it, it can be a true thing, but it can often be exaggerated and even fabricated, right? But slander, the intent of slander is to discredit a person, to uh, ruin the reputation. Of course, we would not ever admit that, that we're trying to ruin, but it, it's definitely doing that. We're bringing out the, the ugly thing that we heard about or we know about, and we're, we're telling other people. Now, this can be malicious, but it can also, listen, it can also just be this weird, sinful pleasure in just almost like tattletaling and letting other people know what this other person did. I don't know why that's kind of juicy for us to do. Um, it's definitely a sinful thing. I, I think it, it reveals itself sometimes when we're, you know, maybe we're, we have like 20 minutes, we're waiting in line or something, and we're at an airport or whatever, and we're just flipping through uh, social media, we're looking through news, uh, you know, news articles, looking for something to read, and we, you know, we come across, uh, you know, sex scandal blows up local church or something. It's like, oh man, click on that. Why are we so interested in that? What is that in us that that? that ooh, I want to see what that was about. You know, I want to find out the details of what happened with that. It's like weird fleshly thing in us that it's kind of sick, right? Um, that kind of takes a pleasure in, in reading about other people's sins or failures. And then, of course, you know, we take that info, oh, have you heard about? And then we want to share it with other people. We take a sinful pleasure also in sharing it. So we have to, we have to really be careful of these things. And they can play themselves out in community. Listen, when you're in a friendship with somebody or you're in a small group and somebody is beginning to open up, they're beginning to bear their soul a bit, that is a sacred trust. That's a deep thing. And we, we should never take anything that we're hearing and communicate it to someone else. They don't, nobody else needs to know. They don't need to know. This is, we should be able to keep secrets, to keep a confidence, uh, to be trustworthy in that way. And listen, I, I know I've been around the church long enough to know that, you know, there are people that they just love to dig and probe. They love to, to figure out. They love, they, they, it seems like they're, they're the kind of people that, man, you can just share everything with. But you, you realize over time that they're, they're, share, they're, they're kind of in everybody's business and they're changing information. If somebody that you're talking with is sharing intimate details of someone else's issues or sin, why do you think they're not going to share your issues with someone else? Don't be foolish. 
You know, be wise in, in, in who you open up to. Um, we need to be discerning. Not every Christian is trustworthy. Again, some people just have that. They, they, they can ruin church communities. Because if, you, if they start playing that game, you know, they're, they're just in everybody's business and pulling out all these deep things, and they just kind of get off on that. It's like a thrill almost. Man, all of a sudden, you know, there's, you know, uh, 20 people who know the sin of somebody. And then that blows up. They find out about that, and that's deeply hurtful, right? Have you ever been in a place where, I mean, I go back to school and our school days, and where all of a sudden you realize that something that you did that maybe is embarrassing or some sin or whatever, that somebody told, like, 20 people about it. And then when you discover that 20 people know about it, how does that make you feel? It's absolutely devastating. It's humiliating. It's infuriating. It's just, it, it breaks you. Like, that, that should never happen in a, in a church community. Like, let's keep a confidence if, if somebody is bearing their soul uh, to us. So important. Here's a little slander test um, or tongue test, however you want to say it. Before you're about to say something negative about another person, to somebody, you can ask these three questions. It's real simple. Is it kind? In other words, is it so kind that if the person happened to be, that you're talking about, was eavesdropping, that they would actually feel graciousness coming from you? Is it kind, what you're saying? Certainly, number two question would be, is it true? Is it really true? Do you know that it's true? And maybe this one, most importantly, is it necessary? Like, how is this going to build up the person that I'm talking with? Is this going to help them in any way? Ephesians 4 says, speak only that which is edifying to the building up of the hearer. That's not just an exhortation for preachers. That's like all of us. Like, are we speaking life-giving words to one another? Are we encouraging one another? If we're talking about another brother, another sister in Christ, is it kind? Is it true? Is it needed? Is it necessary? I mean, there is a time. You might be warning somebody. Um, Sometimes, you know, elders need to, talk things through, leaders need to figure out who should be their next, uh, maybe, you know, an upcoming small group leader. Um, there, are, there are times to kindly and truthfully, in a needed way, you know, talk about other people. Um, you know, we know that. But it, we should be so careful with that. All of us. And I, I've made my mistakes with this through the years. Because, you know, you just, you're just fired up about stuff. You get fired up. You're frustrated or whatever. And you just, you know, we just talk. That's why one of the Proverbs says, when words are many. <laughs> Tiff, want to finish the verse? 
right? <laughs> it's like a verse that we learned as, a, as new Christians. When, when, when words are many, sin is not absent. That's, a, I think, NIV version, right? But uh, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. Keep secrets. Um, be careful about talking about other people, you know, behind their back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Here's another one, Proverbs eleven twenty five. Go a little further here. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The NIV, I think this was a verse we memorized too in our first year of being a Christian. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Again, we're thinking about these things in the context of church community, that we would be gracious, that we would uh, forgive one another, that we would be kind to one another, that we'd be careful what we say about people, uh, that we would be the kind of people who are trustworthy. But this one kind of gets into how we approach our experience of church, all right? Again, I can't say this was how things were in the early church. Um, I'm sure there was some of that. I mean, the Corinthians seem to have their issues. But it it definitely, again, seems like a, a bit of a trend in our country, in America, this uh, kind of viewing church as as a product. Even the preacher is, you know, the sermon is a, a product to be consumed, to be critiqued, to be liked or not liked, and kind of everything, the lighting, the way the video is for the live stream, the music, how was that? Which, you know, did we like it? Did we not like it? Every aspect of the church experience now is critiqued, and it's kind of like, you know, consumed. Is this, do we like this? Do we not like it? It's all about our preferences, you know? And that's why, you know, some people can never find a church because they, you're always going to find imperfections, go from church to church to church. But it's a little bit like, uh, you know, looking for, looking for a gym or looking for a restaurant. You know, we, we kind of, when you go to a restaurant, you're paying, right? You're the paying customer, I don't go to the restaurant uh, to refresh others. I mean, maybe I do a little bit, try to, you know, be a blessing to the waiter or waitress and give them a good tip. You know, so, I, you know, we're still maybe giving a little bit. But, you know, we're kind of there to consume. Like, we're paying money. Just, you know, we want the, there to be enough air conditioning. We, we want the, the food to be right. We want, just, you know, we're, we're, we're paying customers. And this kind of way of thinking can get into our way of thinking as we relate to the church. And we have to really be careful of that. Um, I've seen this play out so much through the years, and I think where it leads is it leads to discontentment. I think you'll never be satisfied with your church experience if you have that kind of consumer mindset. You're always going to be, it just doesn't work that way. It's not designed, actually, to work that way. But this verse brings out, he refreshes others, will himself be refreshed. As we give, 
not, and I'm not talking about financially only. That's, I think, part of it. But as we, as, we, as we come to a church and say, you know, what can I do for this church rather than, you know, what can this church do for me? I think that kind of mentality, and again, this is marriage. Yeah, that works in a marriage. It works in a work situation. works in friendships. When we approach it, now, of course, we want to get something from church, hopefully, right? We're getting fed. We're getting blessed. The music is good. It's, you know, encouraging. It's not wrong to, to want to be refreshed, you know, by the church. But the scriptures, especially Jesus, gives us this principle that when we pour out for others, it comes back to us. It creates joy. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I've always noticed that the people who are the most excited about Renaissance Church and they just, they just love the church and they just love the people in the church, they're always people who are pouring into other people. They're serving, they're listening, they're here, they're present, they're around. I mean, they, they just come with that servant attitude. Um, imagine a church where everyone was coming in with that sort of mindset. It'd be incredible, right? I mean, that's what makes marriages work. When there's no record of wrongs, nobody's keeping track. It's not like, oh, I gave more. I did the dishes five times this week. You only did them two. You know, like all that. It's like ridiculous. Like that's, what are you, what's your goal in the marriage to like get your spouse to do more stuff than you do? Then you like, you, you win, you know, like you, it was worth it <laughs> to be married. Like, no, you, you try to, like the scriptures say, outdo one another with honor. Outdo one another with love. Outdo one another with servanthood. And I think just the cool thing about it is it actually comes back to you. It's an upside down principle. You actually feel more joy and more refreshing and more blessing and more spiritual life when you give away, right? It doesn't make sense because the world says, oh, if you're feeling you need to be refreshed, what do they say? Self-care, you know, uh, me time, all that. You need to take care of yourself. And you do, of course, need to take care of yourself. But it's, it's usually like I need to go and just do something to bless me, and that's going to be refreshing to me. Again, a little bit of that, we, we do need that, but that usually doesn't lead to refreshing because we're not designed. We're designed for love. We're designed to be most joyful when we're pouring ourselves out for other people. Amen? Amen. All right, so good. Yeah, my wife is, um, I think she slipped downstairs. Good, I can talk behind her back <laughs> since she's not here. But she um, is a model of this, honestly. Nobody has poured into the church more than her. And listen, I get paid to do it. She's not paid. She's just a volunteer. Having people to, to, to the house, uh, serving people. Nobody has served in the nursery more than my wife. Uh, she will just drop things. She'll just help. Like, actually, the memorial service yesterday, 
you know, she, you know, she came to it and like within three minutes, like she's got gloves on and she's helping behind the kitchen. I just, oh, here she comes. Okay. Change the subject. Um, anyways, but some people are a really great example of pouring out to others. And there's a joy because of it. And you can see that joy in their lives. Jackie Plant comes to mind, right? I remember I was in the, I don't know if it was a prayer meeting a few, like maybe a month ago. And Jackie, who's getting older in years, right? And she's, you know, suffering with some health issues right now. But I don't know if she just came in the room. And there was so much tangible joy on her face. It was like overwhelming. It was just like a glow. And I'm thinking, why isn't she frazzled and fried and miserable? Because she just spends herself constantly. They have so many grandkids and constantly reaching so many people and doing stuff for people. They run circles around most of us here. They do so much for people. Roger. (laughs) This is the other half. (laughs) But, you know, I just, I love that. You know, they're servants. Um, They shine in that. But there's a joy. I mean, Roger has, Roger's about as joyful as as you can get, right? You know, he's a joyful person. uh, But both of them. And why? Why are they so constantly replenished and refreshed? Because they're giving out to others. Be like that. Let's all be like that. Let's give out to other people. Now, one of the things that we immediately get, uh, you know, I can hear the, pushback. Well, we got to be careful that we don't get too much, you know, into church stuff because we can get burnt out. And there's a lot of like burned out people, right, from doing too much at the church. I have heard this so much. I am convinced that it's so overplayed that the reason that people get burned out is I'm telling you 90% of the time it is because of relational sourness. It's not because they're doing too much for people. Now, if you really do a lot for people, you're going to feel physically burnt out at times, and you're just going to need physical rest. <laughs> Actually, I came home from the, the memorial service uh, yesterday that ended up being quite long and you know, just talking with all different kinds of people, meeting new people. I'm an introvert, so meeting new people, uh, meeting one person equals three hours of sleep. You know, no, I'm just kidding. But I came back from the memorial service and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I was so hungry because I didn't eat anything at the memorial service except for one cookie. And I, but I was so tired and I was like this dilemma, like, do I sleep or eat? And I think I had enough energy to just like eat like a little bowl of salad that I'd made the day before and then just like went from there into and I just like crashed till six o'clock so (laughs) there's a and then I went to bed like at 10 30 um so I got a lot I'm feeling refreshed you know but there there's a time for we do especially as we get older we feel limitations and it's okay to pull back there are seasons where pastors need sabbaticals for that reason uh, sometimes volunteers just need to take a break. Uh, some of the musicians, for example, Dan Waugh, even though he led this morning, you know, just kind of taking, taking it a little slower in the summer. That's needed. That's all good. That's not, you know, because pastors are bitter. It can be, but or Dan is bitter. You know, it's, it's not that. He's so sweet. Um, but 
there's a need just to pull back. There's rhythms to it. So understand the balance, though. Be careful that you're not like, well, I don't want to get burned out, so I ain't doing anything in the church. That, that's not going to be the pathway to refreshing. All right? Be a giver. Be a server in the church. All right, I'll give you one, one more, and we'll end it here. I had seven of them picked out, and I thought, man, is, am I even going to be able to fill the time with these seven? I always underestimate how long-winded I am. Proverbs twelve sixteen. This is a good one. The vexation, we don't really use that word much, but the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. I believe the NIV version says a fool shows his annoyance at once. Right? We've all been in that situation where maybe you did something and, and the person, they might not say it. They might say it. But how many know that body language and facial expressions can, can say it all? Like You can see it on the look on their face that they are clearly really annoyed. And you might say, oh, are you annoyed? Oh, no, not at all. That's, that's church culture right there for you. But a fool shows his annoyance at once. You know, this is really about being overly sensitive. Now, I know some people have a sensitive nature. I do. Um, some people kind of don't, um, and th- they're just different. So. But it, it, regardless of what our temperament is, this is really about being uh, too sensitive in situations. We've all been annoyed by Christians, right, in church context. If you haven't, then again, you're not, you're not coming to church enough, <laughs> okay? You're not involved enough. You need to get involved so you can get annoyed with people. <laughs> you know, you need to really go deep so you can be insulted and offended and slighted and even betrayed. You know, it's, it's great. You should be a member of the church. This is a great sales pitch, right, for going deep with the church. But listen, this is the the design of God. This is another sermon, but that literally is where we're shaped, is through relationships. You know, but I want to be shaped in the prayer closet. I want to be shaped alone reading my Bible and just come and, you know, not really be part of the church. No, it's like we're changed, transformed, we're sanctified through all the messiness of community. Good design, Jesus. He knows what he's doing. But listen, we get annoyed. We get insulted. And this verse, I think, you know, it's, it, it's saying that uh, the prudent, the wise person ignores an insult. Now, it doesn't, again, this can be taken the wrong way. Just like, okay, somebody offends you and you're like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to ignore it and just kind of walk your way. You know, but in your heart, you have an attitude about it, right? And listen, it's going to come out. It's going to come out passive-aggressive. It's going it's to come out in different ways. It's not just saying that. It's partly saying that, that we should be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to be angry, right? But it's not just biting your tongue. It's bearing with one another in love. 
So I want to say two things in closing. One is, is kind of practical, and the other one is, is deep, and it'll be a great note uh, to end on. The first, just kind of a practical thing. Can I just encourage us as a church community to, and maybe this sounds funny, this is kind of our premarital counsel is the same, but lower your expectations for people. Like, we're human, okay? You know, oh, I did this thing and nobody said thank you or I didn't get included into the, Just stop thinking about all those things. Like, just, we're all broken. We're all messed up. We're all carrying a lot of junk. We all have huge circles of people that we're trying to love everybody. We have families. We have family drama that we're dealing with. There's so much. So, like, let's not have high and even unrealistic expectations of each other. Um, Just, you know, cut each other slack. <laughs> you know, if people have different views than you, I mean, this, come on, just like, all right, it's cool, you know, if they, man, you know, I remember their birthday and they didn't remember my birthday. Who cares? I will always forget your birthday. <laughs> all right? Because I don't remember my own birthday. Like, just, it's not that important. You know, bring it down. Bring it down. Just, Have grace toward people. Be patient. Bear with one another. All right, my last thought is this. And this is a little deeper. But, you know, so much of this attitude of grace that we have toward one another, we don't want to have to fix it after the fact, right? It's not like, Okay, we're in a situation, we're deeply offended, we're mad, we're biting our lip, we're like, okay, I'm not going to say anything, now I'm angry with this person, i got to work it through in prayer for the next week. Right? That's exhausting, right? I mean, who wants to live like that? It would be much better to prepare in advance to be insulted and offended and betrayed in the context of a church community. It would be good to prepare to be disappointed by the pastor that he just didn't do this or that or the other thing. I can come up with a lot of things. I'm, I'm, I fall short. I've made tons of mistakes through the years. Or the pastor's wife. Oh, she looked right at me and didn't even say hi. She's, she's in another world. <laughs> just... Be gracious toward one another. But it's about having this mindset. So where does the mindset come from? It comes from, I believe, more than anything else, it comes from understanding the grace of God toward you. When you keep that fresh in your Christian life and you make it a part of your daily prayers, you make... You, you just make much of it daily. You constantly, Dan was actually, came right out of his mouth, right? Talking about the love of God and the grace of God during, in between one of, one of the songs. Just, you know, constantly just, oh man, God, you are so good to me. I have done so many wrong things. I have sinned so much throughout my life. And you have been so gracious, so kind, so merciful that when I came to you, 
that you just forgave all of my sins. I didn't deserve that. It's the nature of grace, right? We don't deserve to be lavished with the grace of God, you know, for eternity. Remember that. Like, keep that fresh and burning in your life. The more you realize that you don't deserve anything. You know, we, I think when we forget, we start getting self-righteous. That's what happens. You know, we start forgetting that we've been cleansed from our past sins. We forget what a wretch we were or would be apart from the grace of God. And we start getting a little bit like, yeah, I don't believe that person did that. You know, like, oh, this person, I would never do that. And we just start, you know, lifting ourselves up in our minds and feeling like we would never do that sort of thing. And we can start judging and, you know, just have that attitude of ungrace toward people. So that's my encouragement. Stay at the foot of the cross daily. You know, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Keep reminding yourself of who you are. I've been a Christian a long time. So, you know, for new, new Christians are, are better at this often. They're just so overwhelmed with how good God is. Like, they just can't even take it. They're like, I don't, I don't even know how I got here. I can't even believe God forgive me of all of my sins. He just wiped the whole slate clean. And then somebody, you know, says, well, you know, like, you're not very smart. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm not. Like, they're just a humility there, right? They're just, they don't care. It's like, they, they, you can't offend them. But then we get it on with our Christian walk and we start, we just forget. And we start getting sensitive and easily offended, easily angered about different things and and we stew on those things. Listen, it's dangerous when we cultivate that ungrace. It can, it can lead to bitterness. As, as I've said to many young pastors who are super excited about going into the ministry and they have a preaching gift, I said, listen, the number one thing you need is meekness. You need that ability to absorb all of the junk and wrongs and injustices and hurts that come your way. It's not just pastors. We all need this. We need meekness for the long haul. We need that ability to just continue to love like Dan articulated this morning about God. That's how God's love is. It's unquenchable. You know, God is not easily angered. The Bible says he's slow to anger. He's long-suffering and patient and bears with us. And that's how we should be toward one another because we reflect him. Amen? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be? And I, I see a lot of that, by the way, at Renaissance Church. I see a lot of this that I'm talking about, but we can always increase and abound more and more. We haven't arrived. But, wow, right? Imagine that kind of Community. There should be so much love, so much mercy, so much patience and long-suffering toward one another that somebody coming from the outside into a community like that would just be like, whoa, what is that? That's stunning, right? Supernatural. That's why the great apologetic that Jesus taught 
is love. Nothing tells the world that God is real more than the love of God manifested within his people. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for, for listening. I went a couple minutes longer, but I uh, love you. I'll pray. Father, I pray blessing on everybody here. Thank you for just the, the open hearts, the listening hearts. The I can just feel it in the room, just a sort of a receiving of the seed of the word of God. Like this is the kind of community that we want to be. This is the kind of church that everybody wants to be a part of, you know, a church where there's humility and you know, you're not walking on eggshells and all this. You know, there's just a, a graciousness. I pray that grace and love would mark this church. Lord, teach us, help us, shed your love abroad within us through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.